Thank you for listening to Life Church Lithia. At Life Church, you belong before you believe. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Gio Munoz. So today I want to I want to speak to everyone really, but there's a certain demographic of people that I feel the Lord put on my heart for today. And that's people that maybe you're in a season or maybe you've been in a season where you have felt disconnected from God. How many of you know that in life you will go through seasons? You will go through different stages in life. And I'm not, I'm not a fan of prophesying or saying that you will go through valley seasons or dry seasons. That's not my MO. But at the same time, I recognize that there are times in my life where I feel really connected with God. And there are other times where I feel like it's very difficult. Am I the only one? Okay, there's three of you. Good. I can preach to three. I can do it. I can do it. There are seasons in life where we feel like it's very easy to come into the presence of God because that is our goal. It's not just your goal for church, it's your goal for life. You should be wanting to feel the presence of God at home. You should be wanting to feel the presence of God at your job because God doesn't see your life as separate things. You got to get it out of your mind. There is no such thing as a Christian part of your life and a non-Christian part of your life. God is Lord over all. He wants to be involved in all the details of your life. And what I have found is that sometimes I go through life and it feels, here's what I know, I know that God is there. I know and I recognize that God does not leave me, he does not depart from me, particularly when I am pursuing him. So what I ask and what I pray is that I would come to the realization, the revelation of where he is and what he is doing. That I would be able to pause, say pause. That I would be able to pause and to recognize when he is in my midst. What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you speaking? Where are you moving to? What do you want me to do? These are the questions. These are the agenda of a Christian. This is what discipleship looks like. You know, we've, we, we really got a lot of things confused, right? We call discipleship, hey, we're going to disciple you. If you want to be discipled, come to this class for an hour for six weeks, and you are discipled. I can now check my discipleship box. But this isn't the model that Jesus showed. For Jesus, discipleship looked like, hey, come follow me. It looked like a father. It looked like a leader who says, I will do life with you, but it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you giving everything that you have and committing to me the good stuff and the bad stuff. Everything that you are, come follow me. It's the invitation. It's the same as it was 2,000 years ago when he walked up to those men and he said, come follow me. It's what he's saying to you today. But for you to have that happen in your life and for you to enter into true discipleship, for you to enter into true Christianity, it is going to take you being present and you being in the moment. How many of you know we live in a busy world? It only gets busier. No matter how much you try to declutter your life, it doesn't take long before it is cluttered again. And so you graduate school and you go to college. And you go to college to get the perfect job. And then the job you want doesn't hire you. So you end up, you know, it's crazy. And the cycle keeps going and going and going. And we can become so busy that God can become an additive. Where Sunday morning is where we connect with God, but the rest of the week is where we're trying to make ends meet. And so I realize in my God that, that I realize in my life that there are important parts of my life that sometimes I just don't pay attention to. I have this little watch. Every once in a while, it'll ring on my wrist. And it'll tell me, breathe. It'll, it's like an alert. It says, breathe. I'm like, I think I'm doing a pretty good job or I'd be dead. 
But it says breathe, and I look at it, and what I have found is my, week, my weeks get crazy sometimes. I'm in school. I have a young family. We're doing ministry. We're running around. And there are lots of things that occupy our time. And so this thing, will, it'll ring on my wrist, and I look at it, and it says breathe, and I'm like, I don't got time for that. <laughs> Dismiss. Don't even remind me in an hour because I won't have time in an hour. And so after about 20 times of doing that, right, the Lord finally spoke to me. He says, you have a problem. No, 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 really. What has your life come to if you have come to the point in your life where something is telling you to breathe? It's not even about breath. What they're really wanting is for you to take 60 seconds and just stop in the moment. And it's really powerful. Because in the middle of our day, if I get to the point where I cannot stop and recognize what's happening in the moment, what God is doing, then what has this become? We're in a machine where it tells you this is what success looks like. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to dress. Furthermore, let's put it into religion. This is how you should worship. This is how much you should read your Bible. This is what intimacy looks like. You name it, the world is trying to put you into a box. And what the enemy would love, his agenda for you, is for you to get so caught up in the machine that you don't realize that your walk doesn't have to look like my walk. My walk doesn't have to look like your walk. What we are to do is to yield our lives and be obedient to him. My job is not to compare my faith walk to yours. Your job is not to try to look like me. Somebody say amen. <laughs> you don't want to live my life. But the goal is for you to live the unique life that God has called you to live. For you to walk in power. For you to walk in intimacy. But that has to look like whatever God has called for you to look like. Not what some pastor tells you. You get into your word and you find, what does love look like for me? How powerful. You don't even know Ellie's story. But if you were to sit down with her, we've walked with her, you would be amazed and you would realize how real God's love really is. Because there are seasons in life where you can't hold yourself together. And you see somebody walk through that season and you see them walk through it with grace and it testifies of his goodness. Two months ago, we sat, maybe not even two months, we sat when they celebrated his life, and it was a celebration. And here she stands here today saying, I've never felt God so close. How is that possible? Being present in the moment. Everybody has responsibilities. Everybody has things. Everybody has things that keep them going and going. But God is looking for a people who would say, out of all the garbage that the devil throws at me and all the things that I have put upon myself, because it's not all the devil, man. We give the devil way too much credit. Some of the situations we find ourselves today are simply the decisions we have made. You reap what you sow. That's not just for money. What have you been sowing into ground will determine what you reap. If you reap chaos, you've got to start asking yourself, what kind of seeds have I been sowing? Well, how do I sow chaos? How do... Well, your thoughts, your words. The things you allow to come into your brain, the things you allow people to speak over you, listen, you need to stop that. Sometimes people will walk up to you and they will say stuff that is just not okay. And then it's okay to say, that is not okay. It's not being ugly. People say stuff to me and it's well-meaning. They'll start prophesying. I see this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh. And I walk away, I'm like, Jesus, I rebuke that. <laughs> Every single word. Every single word, let it fall. I'm serious. Because some of us, we nod our heads, 
And without even realizing it, we have allowed that to sow into our hearts. And then it sows into our hearts and it becomes the things we say. Oh, gosh. I'm preaching. And so people are walking around like, Lord, I rebuke the devil and every demon you're shadow boxing. At this point in your life, the devil does not have to send anything your way. You have become your own worst enemy. You have fallen into a cycle where you cannot be present and you cannot even see God in your midst. We've talked a lot about the story of, of Moses, and I love his story because he was a great leader. You want to study great leaders, and you want to figure out how they arrived to where they were, even if they didn't end well. How many of you know Moses didn't necessarily end well, but we don't flush all of it because he accomplished a lot of good things. You don't think it's a lot? Try leading 1.6 million people anywhere. Listen, today the service is going to end, and there's going to be eight of us trying to figure out what restaurant we're going to go to, and it's going to take 45 minutes. Until somebody goes, I'm just leaving. And everybody follows. Multiply that 1.6 million times. And you find yourself in the position that Moses was in. Leading a bunch of ungrateful people that couldn't see God in their midst, even though he was leading them. And so I was reading this portion of scripture. It's in Exodus 24. And it was interesting to me. Exodus 24, verse 12. It should be up on the screen, but you should bring your Bible to church because you need to start. <laughs> Man. Exodus 24, 12 says this. The Lord said to Moses, come up to the mountain. Say, come up to the mountain. Let's try it again. Come up to the mountain. And stay here. Yeah. And it says this. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law. So here's what was going on. God was about to impart. He was about to give something to Moses. But before he gave it to Moses, before Moses received what he needed to lead the people, he needed to come up to the mountain and be present with him. Now we can read over this portion of scripture and just pass it by and realize, oh, that's just some, that's nothing. But, but really something was happening here. Because when you realize what, was, what the original text said, it wasn't just go up to the mountain and stay here. The original reads like this, Moses, I want you to go up to the mountain and I want you to be at the mountain. Now that changes the game. Because if I tell you today, hey man, I want you to go to Chipotle for lunch, and when you go to Chipotle, I want you to be at Chipotle. He'd be like, this guy has issues. If I go to Chipotle, I'm going to be at Chipotle. Eating Chipotle for lunch. It's the Lord. But you would ask yourself, why would the Lord say to Moses, I want you to go somewhere and be somewhere? It's because he knows the way we are wired as humans. There are people who come to church every week, and they are here, but they are not here. And he knows that every single one of us, we have the tendency to be somewhere and be present physically, but we are not there emotionally. We are not there, we're not there spiritually. And what God realizes is that there are more to what we are than skin and bones. Sometimes my wife will say something to me. And she'll say it to me, and it's like it's the first time. What did you just say? I told you this. And sincerely in my heart, I am not lying. She said, it is the first time I have heard it. She's like, no, 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 you looked me in the eye. You even nodded. Like, I understand. I understand what you're saying. It's what it looks like to be present but to not be present. To understand that you can come into a service and do this and jump around and shout amen, but you haven't allowed it to get to your heart. You haven't allowed it to seep in. It's, it's the issue that we have, man. 
that we come in and we don't let God have full access of our hearts. If you were to let God have full access of your heart, your life would be changed. It would be transformed. Because God is not interested in a partial commitment. You understand what it means to be Lord? When you say, God, you are Lord of my life, it looks like he is king and ruler over every part of who I am. It's not a Sunday relationship. It's not a Wednesday relationship. It's not the tinglys when I read a good Facebook post and I love it. It's the kind of relationship that keeps me up at night. Oh, three nights, two nights ago, I was in my bed and the Lord was speaking to me. You understand that you can get to a place in the Lord that he will arrest your heart. I ask myself a lot, man, what is it that I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking I go to bed at night, and I'm thinking about him. Because when he becomes your sole pursuit, nothing else matters. You say, well, what about the issues? Isn't it irresponsible? No. He is the only solution. Without him, I am bankrupt. The Bible says it. Without love, you have nothing. He is perfect love. And so God is telling Moses, I want you to come up to the mountain. And as he went up to the mountain, as he obeyed the glory of God, it was in the Bible called the Shekinah glory. It was the glory that rested came upon the mountain. Because when you give yourself and you yield and you go up the mountain, God will meet you there. Too many people on the bottom of the mountain living off of the guy's experience that went up. The invitation was for everyone. The glory of God did not just want to settle on Moses. He was the only one who was willing to step in. It's quiet. Must be doing a good job. Being present in the moment and allowing God into our hearts is our primary focus. There is nothing else to be understood. There is nothing else, there is nothing else that matters. I know we have issues. I know there are agendas, and I know there are things that are difficult. But without a touch from heaven, there is no solution. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you want to see the Father, you must go through who? Through him. Him being Jesus. And so we have to make a decision, right? Will we get caught up in the busyness of life? In the place where we are running at a capacity and an understanding that we cannot keep up with? Or will we yield ourselves to him? Will we allow his presence to come and not to just come, but to acknowledge that he is here? To throw away partial... Listen, what does it look like to be present? I'm glad you asked. So glad you asked. Because it would be difficult for me to say that to you and to not show you what that looks like. There's been a scripture, a story that has, I said, there are portions of scripture that I just can't get away from. Like, I read them over and over because I feel that they're pivotal for what we're doing as a church. Like I said earlier, God is redefining success. Not just success for the everyday life, but what success looks like for a church. You need to understand that success for this church is not measured by masses. Success in your life is not measured by money. So many people, the amens are low because people love money. Well, how can I do it without money? What a crazy notion that God would be your source. Success is not measured 
by what people think of you. Success is not measured by social status. God is redefining success where success is measured by a heart that is captivated with the love of Jesus. Now, if I would have said, success is measured, because I've been there. Success is measured by the healed, the sick being healed, you would have people going, amen. Success is measured by the dead being raised. You would say, oh, let's see the dead raised, right? People's hairs would stand up. But when you say success is measured by intimacy with Jesus, it stays quiet. (laughs) Because anybody that's been married will know that love will cost you something. I heal the sick, it's about me. You say, no, it was Jesus, nah. Nah. I raised the dead, look what I have done. But when your main pursuit becomes locking eyes with love, few are willing to pay the price. The problem is that you don't get miracles, signs, and wonders. You don't get to walk in power without locking eyes with him. Why do we not see miracles? Listen, the Bible says those who follow Jesus will heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. That is your Bible. There are people that are missing here today that are sick in the hospital. Jonathan Nichols, they are sick, and it disturbs me. It should. And you could do two things, right? You can come to the conclusion, well, maybe God only wants to heal certain people. Maybe God loves healing in Africa, but I don't know about the USA because we got doctors weak. Or maybe we can come to the conclusion that the only way to become a person who heals is to touch and grab hands with the healer. Oh, you say, well, he says that a lot until we get it, man. Learning comes through repetition. It's to lock eyes with him. And when he becomes our pursuit, everything we need will flow from that. I'm talking about everything. Your money situation, your relational situations, your ministry situations, all of it. When he becomes the center and everything in your life leads back to him, you better know that it will be blessed. It goes past worry. God is saying that to you today, man. You have to move past worry. Andy came up to me and he said, there's a scripture for today. First, 2 Timothy 1.7, so good. It says this, for God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity. That is not what he has given you. If you have received that, you can be assured, according to scripture, it is not from him. So ask yourself, what spirit has he given me? He has given you the, the spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. A sound mind can also be interpreted as self-discipline. It is a spirit that has been given to you. And it is only given to you through intimacy. So let's backtrack. What does, what does it look like to be present in the moment? Matthew 26 is a story. One of literally my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Listen, I love the Davids. The giant killers, love it. I love, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Stood in the midst of everybody, love it. Some read the Bible and that is their measure of success. Let's be giant killers. Let us stand in the fire. I've preached that. I love it. But this portion of Scripture right here, I want to read it. Let's go to Matthew 26. Are you alive? Thank you, Bud. Bud's always there. Matthew 26, we'll start at verse 6. 
I want to give you context so you understand what's going on before we read this story. Jesus is about to be in the home of Simon. And what happened before this story is Mary, who is sister to Martha, their brother Lazarus, which is one of the people Jesus said he loved, was dead. He was dead. People ran up to Jesus and said, Jesus, you got to come. Lazarus is he's dying. And Jesus is like, it's not time for that right now. Which to many would seem as irresponsibility. <laughs> How many of you know Jesus did nothing without seeing the Father do it first? So Jesus is pursued by these two women. You know the story. If you continue to read Jesus, it says he got angry. It says that, that he was anger hit him because there is such thing as righteous anger. Sometimes the church is missing that righteous anger part, man. It's not an anger of, it's not an anger of, of judgment. It's an anger for the injustice that is happening in the world. Jesus got angry. He went. He spoke at the tomb that Lazarus was in. And he said, Lazarus, come out. And he came out. He was dead. And so here is after this story, Jesus finds himself at their home. And it says this. We pick up in chapter 26, verse 6, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Previously, because Jesus had touched his life. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price, and the money could have been given to the poor. But aware of this, Jesus said, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me and prepared my body for burial. I tell you the truth. Who, wherever, watch this. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the whole world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Catch it. She walks in. She gives the Lord an expensive offering that even the disciples cannot understand. The person who spoke up was Judas. Because Judas had issue with something so valuable being poured out on the life of Jesus. Judas is a perfect example of someone who could be in the presence of Jesus but does not open up their heart. Being in the presence of Jesus, even being in the presence of people who have opened up their hearts to Jesus, like John, does not mean your heart will be changed. You could be in the presence of Jesus walking among a room and still have a hard heart. Judas is a perfect example of this. And so he is indignant. Why could we not sell the perfume and sell it to give the poor? It's a good thought. It is. I mean, there are poor people. We could have used it, but Jesus said, listen, do not steal this good thing from her. And furthermore, he ties her act of worship to the preaching of the gospel throughout the whole world. Now, you read where else in the scripture Jesus said, this will be remembered forever where the whole gospel goes. You find it. Read your Bible and see. It doesn't happen. And so I read the scripture and I asked myself, man, if that's true, this must be significant. If everywhere this gospel goes forward, what is the gospel? Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and now you have life and freedom from sin. That is what he's talking about. And everywhere this gospel is preached, this woman will be remembered. You have to ask yourself, what, why is this woman tied to the memory of the global spread of the gospel? At first it bothered me. Why? Because this woman didn't have a ministry? 
Woman didn't have a book. There's no book of Mary in the Bible. If you would have thought, I will tie anything to the gospel of Jesus forever, you would have thought it would be something Paul did, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Not so. There's no accounts of Mary healing the sick, raising the dead. She's mentioned three times in the Bible, and it's all the same story. It was that important. So I said, Lord, what could it be about this woman that you have tied the testimony of your name to her forever? What is it about her that is so special? This is the question I asked the Lord. I got to know. If her story will be known forever, what is it about her? And the Lord said this, she loved me. You say, well, there's lots of people who love him. Jesus was surrounded by people. John was the one who put his head on his chest. He was the beloved disciple, yet he's still not tied to the testimony of Jesus forever. You say, there's lots. What makes her different? What is it about her? And, and what you realize is that God took this passage to show you a different kind of love. A different kind of pursuit. The kind of love that she had, it was, it was so, it's even hard to comprehend because in a crowd full of people who constantly pursued Jesus and said, Jesus, do for me. Many of them were there because of the things that Jesus had done. But there was something different about Mary. How do we know? Because when you read the story of Lazarus in Luke, Mary, Martha, runs up to Jesus. She's the one that comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, Lazarus has died. And then he goes through this theological dis discussion. You are Lord, and if you come, he will be healed. And everything she says is right, but yet Jesus does not want to hear it. How do we know? Because he sent her away. And what did he send her away to do? He sent her away to find Mary. This is before, before the anointing at the house. Martha comes, Lord, you are good, and if you come, then all of it's right. But at that moment, Jesus was not looking for words. He was looking for worship. Mary comes on the scene because Martha came and got her and said, Jesus wants you. And the first thing that Mary did when she saw Jesus was what? It was not words. The first thing she did in the midst of her brother dead is not, Lord, you should have or you could have. She gets on her knees and she worships him. So many people in the church with words, things to say. Some of us don't hear from God because we're too busy talking. We've been taught. Listen, we pray for people all around the world, and the first thing we say is, when we pray, don't say anything. We've been taught to come to the altars, and instead of just waiting and hearing, we start to loosen the body. And we're talking, we're going. And there's a time and a purpose for everything, and sometimes the Lord is not looking for words. He's looking for worship. He's looking for adoration. And so you have a choice to make. You can come into a room of people who are wanting to be entertained and you can fall at the feet of Jesus. If I would have been in that room, I know that Mary, I would have been captivated by her. 
I would have noticed her because everybody in the room sitting in chairs waiting to be served, yet there's one person at his feet captivated by him. It wasn't about the gifting. It wasn't about the miracles. It wasn't about the wonder. It was about him. Locked eyes with him. The interesting thing about the story is that there's two people in the story. It wasn't just Mary who was there. There was also a Martha who had the same opportunity to do the same thing as Mary, yet Martha was too busy. Listen, you don't hear anything else. I want you to hear this. If the devil cannot get you to become a Judas, he will get you to become a Martha. If he cannot get you to betray and to walk away from Jesus, he will get you to be so busy with doing that you forget that this is about beholding. Christianity is not about behavior. It is about beholding. It's not even about becoming because until you behold, you cannot become. You become what you behold. If your life is full of anxiety and depression, I would ask you, what are you beholding? You say, well, the reason I, I, I can't see anything else. The Bible tells us to fix our eyes on heavenly things. To, to not fix our eyes on temporal things because they will fade away, but to fix our eyes on things that do not fade away. It's the lesson we learn from Mary. That in the middle of, here's what I love, I fully believe if, even if Lazarus had not been raised from the dead, she still would have been there. It was not tied to the miracle. And so here's Martha with the same opportunity, the same Jesus, sitting in the same place, yet she's making Jesus sandwiches he never ordered. I love that Bill says that. Martha was busy making sandwiches from, for Jesus he never ordered. How do we know he wasn't interested? Look, read the same account in Luke 10. And it says this. Luke 10, 38. As he entered the village, a woman welcomed her. Had a sister named Mary. And here it says, Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his words. Ah. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. I wonder what preparations look like in your life. I'm serious. You could be doing all the right things, but it does not mean you're right. You could have a good heart, but busyness does not equal godliness, even when it's for him. Uh. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and then she came up to Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha. You know when you have your name said twice, you're about to be in trouble. You know. It's like pity, G-O-G-O. Martha, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. <laughs> Listen, I, there are people in this room that I know identify with that. Lord, Lord, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I don't see any help. G-O-G-O. You're worried about so many things. Things. But the only thing necessary, somebody say the only thing. You need to highlight that, underline it. Tattoo it on yourself. The only thing necessary. Mary has chosen. <laughs> what was Mary doing? 
She was not prophesying. She was not preaching. What was Mary doing? Beholding. Well, we want to be the church of Acts, and we want to see God move in power, and we want to see. I get it, bro, me too. I get it. But until you don't be, until you behold, you cannot become. Lord tells the disciples, hey, listen, I'm going to go, and the Holy Spirit will come and will endue you with power, but you have to wait. You think they were in there praying for power? They did not even understand what power looked like. When they came, they thought it was a rushing wind. What were they doing? Beholding. My fear for the church and the thing I pray over my heart every single day is that we don't become a church that creates Martha's in lieu of Mary's. Am I saying that we do not do? No, we must do. This gospel is a go gospel. Go into all the world and preach the kingdom of heaven is near. It is a go gospel, but we cannot go until we learn what it looks like to sit at the feet of Jesus. People will criticize. <laughs> People would understand. Well, why can't we do more ministry? It was the heart of Judas. That's Judas talking. Shouldn't we be doing more? No, 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 no. She has chosen the only thing. <laughs> I, I promise you, I promise you, if you were to learn this lesson and to learn to sit in intimacy with him, it would revolutionize and change your life. You want a legacy? Let your legacy be he beheld, she beheld the Lord. People wanted to do, 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 but this person understood what it looked like to sit at the feet of Jesus beyond what he did for him beyond every single thing that the world will throw at you. Are you with me? So I want to give you an opportunity today. And I want to pray over your heart. I hope you understand. Listen, the essential Christian message is not to behave. It's not to behave. Church is not behavioral modification. It is not to behave, it is to behold. This is not a 12 steps gospel. There is one way. <laughs> There's only one way, and that way is Jesus. And Jesus has to become so real to you that in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the financial blah, 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 in the middle of feeling weak and discouraged, all of it, that you can lock eyes with him and say, in this moment, I will give you an offering that cost me something. She could have came with anything. The reason the disciples were indignant was because she came with something that costed her the most. So I ask you today, man, if you've been introduced to a gospel that's about behavior, I'm sorry. Because that gospel leads to no fruit. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. I'm reminded every single day when I spend time with the Lord in the morning how much I need him. <laughs> because when you begin to dream God-sized dreams, that's stuff that you can accomplish on your own or you can manipulate to make happen. 
But when you begin to really dream with God, you realize unless he shows up, I'm in trouble. It was no different when I was a drug addict 10 years ago. Until he showed up. When I was sitting on a park bench, strung out. Jesus showed up to you when you were on drugs. Yes, he did. And I'm just as much in need of him today as I was on that park bench by myself. Maybe you're here and you got family members, man. Loosing and binding and fasting. Oh, that's good. But maybe the Lord's just calling you to behold him. Maybe he's just calling you to fix your eyes on him and to stop worrying and just be. I pray that you enter into the same love that Ellie's living in right now. That goes beyond circumstances. I want to pray over you today. Would you just, would you just close your eyes? Today we're not going to end in a big hurrah. <laughs> Time and a moment for everything. Today I'm going to give you an opportunity to enter into what we've been talking about. I'm going to give you a few moments as they play worship for you to behold him. I encourage you right now, don't let your mind wander. Don't disconnect from this moment.